And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stop it! Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. I got nowhere else to go. I got nowhere else to go. I got nothing else. Hello, welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spitaro, and that guy over there is Mr. Scott Gordon. Hello. How you doing? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing all right. And uh, as we were talking about, I'm just uh, sitting around. Wasting my life away reading comics and doing such, uh, but you know it's all good. It's all good. Uh, <laughs> but but I, I can think of no better way to waste your life, honestly. It, it is a a very good waste of life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just I mean, rather than make you uh, have to call me on it again, uh, we we started <laughs> recording and and. It, we restarted and Scott was calling me on the fact that I never acknowledged uh, a certain package I got in the mail containing an issue of Planet of the Apes magazine, the second issue that is in my uh, collection, both of which come courtesy of Mr. Scott Gardner's generosity. Uh, thank you, Scott. <laughs> I forgot to do the. Oh, you are. You are very welcome. I forgot to do the posting on Facebook saying, hey, look at what Scott sent me. <laughs> I live for those. No, I, I was just I was just want to make sure you got it more than anything. But I, I found it humorous that when I messaged you, I was like, you know, do you have Planet of the Apes number such and such? And you were like, uh, the only issue I have is the one that you sent me before. So I'm like, oh, OK. So so, uh, you know, I went ahead and picked it. I mean, it was a dollar, you know, and it's it, you know, you can tell it when you look at it, it's it's in raggedy enough shape. That you're like, yeah, this is probably like a buck, you know, but I thought you'd appreciate it still. I, I You know, they're. They're kind of hard to come by, and they're even harder to come by cheap. So when I stumbled across it cheap, uh, I was like, well, you know, let me go ahead and pick it up. Somebody must want this. And then, you know, I immediately thought of you and was like, you know, I wonder if this is an issue that, that Paul had. For some reason, I always think that you you have, like, almost the complete collection or something. I don't know why I always think that. but No, I have the uh, almost complete collection of the uh, Adventures on the Planet of the Apes. I think I'm missing, ah, okay. one. I think I'm missing one issue of that, or maybe two. Um, well, you know, for the for the longest time, I had no interest in the magazine because, like you, I, I had an almost complete – and now I have since filled in all the issues. But growing up, I had an almost complete collection of the, uh, the comic, which was Adventures on the Planet of the Apes. And I was under the, the – you know, the mistaken impression that they were essentially the same thing as far as now I knew that there was original content in the primary stories in the magazines, but the backup feature where it's an adaptation of the films, I, I thought it was pretty much complete and it's nowhere near complete because the adventures I think stops at the end of beneath. 
Whereas they actually did adapt all of the films in the magazine size, uh, you know, the magazine. They adapted all the films, and there's even a, another, um, not a film, but it's it's like a, a, a like a missing link chapter between, um, I think, I think it's between conquest and battle, if I'm not mistaken. It's you know, it's like a like a bridge type of story mm-hmm. that's in there. So, so they're well worth collecting. Plus, I mean, they're just beautiful. You know, they're in beautiful black and white. They're you know, they're slightly oversized, so the art's that much better and. I just get a real kick out of them. But yeah, I was in uh, uh, one of my local area comic shops recently and uh, the owner posts things on, you know, on Facebook from time to time when he you know, gets collections or what. And he had just posted, um, it was a picture of a short box and he had, you could tell it was magazines and he had pulled two magazines out to kind of show like representation, like what was in the box and one of them I had no interest. It was like an issue of like 1984 or something. And then the other one was, um, I think it was Savage Tales, but the you know the magazine size one that had uh, Kazar in it. Mm-hmm. And I I knew I needed an issue of that. And I'm just kind of you know I'm interested in the magazines now. I've been collecting a lot of the old Marvel like the horror magazines and stuff. So. I wasn't able to go the first day when it was available and it was killing me. I was like, ah, oh, somebody's going to go and raid that thing before I get there, you know? So I went, you know, as early as I could the next I know day that after fever. work. <laughs> yeah. And I went the next day after work and, and he said that, you know, it was pretty much the same stuff. He said one guy had come in, kind of thumbed through, bought a couple of things, but for the most part it, it had remained untouched. And he said, I knew you'd be in when you saw that post. So I went through and everything in in the box was a buck which was great you know but i mean they they were pretty raggedy and they're kind of smelly you know they've probably been sitting in like somebody's basement or something so you know they they were well loved but i mean for shit for a dollar you know yeah and it was um like a ton of savage sort of conan there were some savage tales in there a lot of uh, although i didn't buy any there were a lot of issues of mad and crazy and you know, just some odd ones like cartoons, you know, the one that was like, uh, you know, with the, with the oh, I can't remember the guy's name, but that cartoonist that would draw like the monsters driving cars, if you know what I mean. I think it'd be like a giant those. rat, you know, with a, with a shifter. You know what I'm talking about? I can't yeah. remember the artist's name. You know, just weird stuff like, you know, it's a lot of 70s and 80s magazine style stuff. But the there was only one issue of Apes in there, and that was the one that I, I bought and sent to you. Well, like I said, I, I thought you'd appreciate it. So, see, I think you know well enough at this point how how hard I'm trying to resist falling down another hole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 there's no question you are dragging me down the magazine hole. <laughs> <laughs> but it's right, you know. I went uh, last weekend, as we record this last weekend. I don't know how long it'll go. It'll be when you're listening. But uh, last weekend. Uh, I went to WinterCon in, uh, uh-huh. in Queens, and uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, there wasn't a lot of comics, you know, at least cheap comics to pick from. You know, there were you know quite a few booths where you know they were marked as you know the books that we look for in the dollar bin would be marked like ten, twelve dollars, and and then 
you know, they would do, oh, special con, you know, 30% off. It's like, yeah, that's not, not of much interest to me. Uh, but I did find two, <laughs> two, uh, two places where I bought some books. One, they were dollar books. It was, you know, fine. I filled, you know, some holes in my, uh, my sleepwalker collection and I picked up a few Marvel fanfares and, and some, uh, was it some X factor and some things like that, that I that were on my want list. Uh, the, the other one, you know, there were, there were some very well-loved books and there were some that were in a little better shape, but there were, you know, some silver, not silver, excuse me, bronze age, bronze to upper bronze age stuff. And the, uh, the dealer wasn't there. Uh, but I was looking through the boxes and I'm waiting for him to come, to come over and, and, uh, you know, so I could talk to him and find out, uh, you know, what he, what he was looking for, for them. And he, and, and he came over and he was like, oh yeah, these are all five and $10 books. And I started to put them back <laughs> and then he was like, well, but, you know, I could do a deal. Uh, and then, you know, ultimately, uh, he, he you know, they were like, I, in my opinion, they were fair two dollar books, and he said I could do them for two fifty. So I was like, all right. So I bought a few of those. Yeah, that's not bad. Uh, there you go. And that turned out to be uh, I don't know if you didn't know uh, Mike Carbono, who does uh, the Big Apple Con. Uh, he does he he does a lot of work with different cons and stuff that go on. Uh, so you know, I was talking to him, and he starts saying, "Oh, if you have books to sell." I said, "Well, I'm not really looking to sell anything right now." But if you you know you get a hold of my kids after I pass, they probably uh, <laughs> they'll probably be happy to give you everything uh, for for a song. But uh, anyway, uh, you know I, I ended up picking up a decent number. But the thing that actually surprised me in the whole thing was that there was really no magazines when I was looking. Uh, I found that to be pretty disappointing. A lot of times when when I've been to shows when they or even comic shops for that matter and they actually do have magazines there, it's weird because I, w I was about to say they're invariably ridiculously expensive although that's not really true most of the time they're crazy expensive but then when they're not then they're dirt cheap and it, there seems to be no middle ground they're either way overpriced or they're like in a dollar box. You know, like like the owner just doesn't know what the hell to do with them type of right. thing. And there and there doesn't seem to really be a, a middle ground. So that, that's kind of funny that way. But it's funny because the, the magazines up until recently weren't really on like like I wasn't actively seeking him. It was just whenever they would happen to fall in my lap and it kept happening so often then it became a matter of, okay, now I'm going to actively collect these, you know, and, and so I started seeking them out. And I've done pretty damn good, you know, if I, if I do pat myself on the back. I, I've done really well to a point where, you know, the ones that are remaining of, of what I really want, I'm down to, you know, single digits. I'm down to, you know, in most cases, like one or two issues I need to complete, you know, a full run, like, uh, um, what is it? Dracula lives, for example, you know, I, I need one issue rampaging Hulk. I need like, I think two or three issues. And there, you know, there's a couple other ones. The, the only one that so far that's really proved a really difficult challenge is there's a title called vampire tales. And it started out where I was just going to get 
the issues that pertain, you know, that, that appealed to me because of the artists that were in them. And I'm trying to remember who the artist was off the top of my head that brought that title to my attention. It's probably like Rich Buckler or somebody. I can't remember off the top of my head. But after scoring a couple of them, now I want the whole series. But they're really expensive. I mean, you know, even the, the issues I've got already, I, I, you know, in a righteous world, I would have never have owned them because now when I see them online, they're, they're always stupid expensive. So I don't know how I got so lucky in scoring the ones that I got. I, I think I got in like just under the wire because one of the things that I've noticed has really, really jumped is anything with Morbius. And I got, um, I can't remember what the title actually is, but it's, it's, I think it's like Marvel preview or something, but the subtitle, like the, like the, what do you call it? Subject matter or whatever is Legion of Monsters, but it's mm -hmm. a story where, um, Morbius and Blade, I don't know if they just meet or if they fight or if they just happen to be in the same magazine. I don't know. But anyway, Mor both Morbius and Blade are on the cover and they're in the book. And that book went from kind of pricey, but you know, if you, if you're really patient, you could probably find it for like, you know, 10, 15 bucks to now it's like stupid expensive because the movie's about to come out. And so, I mean, I got in right under the wire on that one. So, you know, but it's fun. I mean, I enjoy them. I, now it's a matter of, you know, and I need to make the time to actually sit and read the friggin' things, you know, because I've been buying them up like crazy, but I've actually, you know, not read many of them. And that's that's going to become a mission here pretty soon. So yeah. I, I remember that Legion of Monsters uh, years ago. I, I, you, you remember there was the Marvel Spotlight issue with Legion of Monsters by uh, your good friend Frank yeah. Robbins. And, uh, right. I, I actually was fond of that book, if you'll recall, when we covered it. Uh, uh -huh. And I remember back then, you know, whatever that was, 1980, 1970-something, uh, through one of the mail-order uh, things, I had seen the Legion of Monsters magazine. And even though it specifically said in the end, there was a disclaimer on it saying this is not the same, you know, team or whatever as in the, uh, you know, as in that book. Right. Uh, but just the same, I was enamored enough with it that I thought, well, I'm going to get it anyway. Uh, <laughs> and I ordered it. And then when I got my mail, they, you know, they had said, oh, sorry, we're all out of that one. Oh, <laughs> so, oh. so I had never gotten it. <laughs> But but there's, there's actually a couple because there's the comic you're talking about that we covered that had like, I think it had like Morbius and Man Thing and Ghost Rider and all that. Yeah. And then there's the one again. I, I I don't think it's actually Legion of Monsters is the actual title. I think it's an issue of like Marvel Preview or or Premiere or something like that. Whatever the magazine one was. But then there's also a one shot. That was actually a magazine called Legion of Monsters, but in that it was like the classic monsters. So you had like Frankenstein, um, Dracula, I think the Wolfman, I know the Gillman or whatever they want to, you know, whatever they call him, the creature is in that. And it's got a beautiful cover. I want to say it's by Neil Adams, if I'm not mistaken. So it's got like a like you look at the cover and it gives me a total like Monster Squad vibe by the cover. It's just gorgeous. But 
I think they're individual stories inside. I don't think it's like the monsters actually like teaming up, which would be friggin' awesome, but I don't think that's what it actually is. Yeah, but the Although reality the is that's totally what I was looking you. for. Even though I What's that? even though I knew better, I was looking for a team up. Yeah. Yeah, that would I think that'd be really cool. I'm hoping, you know, if if this Marvel train you know, cinematic train continues long enough, you know, I, I really hope that they get around to some of these other genres. I mean, they're starting to kind of play with it a little bit, but for the most part, what we've continued to get, despite the fact that there's now, it's got to be pushing 30 movies at this point. They're still primarily superheroes. And I'd really like to see them start branching out. And, you know, Morbius kind of looks like it might be that, although that's not necessarily an MCU movie. But it does look like it's an, it's an, it's an edge toward the horror end. But I'd love to see them start bringing in, like, the monsters and the westerns. You know, at least, like, give us at least one Marvel western would be nice, just to see how it does, you know? It may, it may yeah. not do anything. It might not light the world on fire. Hell, you could do it as a as a Disney Plus series or something, but I'd, I'd really like to see, like, a, a good Marvel western. Um, but I would love to see, you know, some of them, if they would do them right, you know, some of the monsters, you know, like a really good... I wonder um, if they'd run into some sort of... a copyright issues with universal and the universal monsters and you know well so long trade. as they don't get too close because i mean if you look up for example frankenstein or frankenstein's monster the movies i mean it seems and i don't keep i'm not even aware it's, it's almost like tarzan there's a new movie with frankenstein like every friggin year every year it seems like there's a new one and, you know, some of them are huge and big budget and then other ones are, you know, quiet little small independent things or foreign or whatever. But there's new Frankenstein movies like every year. And I think that's because, if I'm not mistaken, I think the character is, um, what do you call it, public domain. So in lo as long as you don't get too close to the copyrighted universal version, you know, the Boris Karloff version, then I, I think you're okay. And that's, you know, Marvel really pushed that line, you know, back when they were doing, you know, the, the Frankenstein comic, you know, back in the seventies anyway, I mean, they really skirted right up to that edge, you know, mm -hmm. but they got away with it, you know? So I, I don't know, but I, I still think it'd be really interesting. Um, but I think if you're going to do that, I think there's also, you probably want to buffer it a little bit because although it was fun in the comics, like when Spider-Man met, you know, the Frankenstein's monster or kind of crossed paths, kind of sort of with Dracula, I don't think that they necessarily all work well in the same world. And I feel funny saying that because my favorite X-Men story of all time is the one where they fight Dracula. But again, I, I don't know that those worlds necessarily need to cross over cinematically, but I, I think it would be fun to still, you know, peek into that corner of Marvel, you know, in a cinematic way, if they could, you know, if they could do it right and, you know, get the right formula and all that sort of thing. But I'm, I'm you know, I, I have no personal knowledges, but just from a devil's advocate point of view, maybe Marvel would be a little uh, hesitant to do 
like a Frankenstein's monster book, knowing that it's in the public domain. And, you know, then, then you could have ripoffs and, and, and people who are skirting up and using their clout, cinematic clout in a way, and, and that they won't be able to fight it. Mm. Yeah, that's true. You know, I, I don't, I don't know the, you know, whether, whether or not that would be the case, but I, I'm thinking if I, if I were working for, you know, the, uh, the Marvel, the MCU somehow as a, as a consultant, that would be one of the first concerns I would raise, you know, in, in the meeting where we started discussing the, uh, use of the monsters. Right. So I don't know. I don't, I don't know where, where <laughs> they might go with it. And, you know, I, I would love to see, you know, I mean, there was talk they were going to do Werewolf by Night, uh, but, you know, honestly, I'd really like to see them try and stay a little close to what they did in the comics and not just use the title. Right. And I'm afraid that they would just use the title. I don't know. You know, I mean, Marvel I hasn't really let me down much to, to speak of, but, you know, I don't know. We're going to say. Oh, I know who it was. It was uh, it was Michael Giacchino. The the composer is the one that's attached to that as I don't know director or something like like you know some sort of creative force behind that. Now the rumors I've heard is that they're not going to use the title. Like they're going to use the character and the concept, but they're not going to call it Werewolf by Night or something. I don't know. I mean, this is all rumor and hearsay, so I don't know if any of that shit's true or not, but that's what I'm hearing anyway. Well, I, what I heard was but, that they weren't going to use the, the name Jack Russell because now Jack Russell Terriers are fairly well-known. And, right. And, you know, <laughs> they're, they're afraid it'll just be, you know, it'll be viewed as being silly. But, yeah, I've always thought that that was silly, but of course, you know, that was, by the time I discovered it, it was well after Jack Terrier, or Jack Russell Terriers had become a thing. So I guess they, it wasn't, at the time it came out, I guess it wasn't a thing, you know, to where people snickered or whatever, but now, yeah, clearly. I was pretty... not familiar with the term Jack Russell Terrier until uh, the TV show Frasier went on, and the father in that show has a Jack Russell Terrier. Uh, mm. So what was that? That was probably around 1990, maybe. I don't even know when this show went on the air. Yeah, probably, yeah, early, probably that's... earlier than that, even. Uh, right. But you know, that's that was when I first became familiar with that being a breed of dog. So I don't know, but you know what we're doing well, today? While we're completely <laughs> off the subject here, I, I had a quick question for you. While while we're off the subject, and then I swear I'll steer us back on track. I, I'm just curious: Have you ever met um, Tom DeFalco? No. So he posted something on, on Facebook a while back. I, I forget what it was. It was something caught my attention. And so I messaged him and I was like, you know, do you ever get down Florida way, you know, when you're doing conventions or what? And he was like, oh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to be at such and such convention um, on such and such date in Fort Lauderdale. So I got all excited about it and everything. And um, then I was looking ahead at my schedule and I actually have the time off and everything but as it was a creeping up, you know, the date was creeping up. So were the gas prices were creeping up and creeping. And Fort Lauderdale, I've never been there, but Fort Lauderdale, when I put it into the GPS, it's a hike. I mean, it's it's at least three hours, probably more than that. So as the date approached, I started to get really nervous because I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I want to go so bad, but it's so expensive and blah, blah, blah. Well, then just a couple of days ago, I saw an announcement where, unfortunately, he had to cancel. And I, and I was like simultaneously like bummed and relieved at the same time. 
because I really want to meet the guy. I'm a huge fan of his writing and you know his time as EIC at Marvel and all that. I'd really like to meet the guy. Um, but yeah, I guess this this one just wasn't meant to be. But hopefully, I'll, I'll get the opportunity again some other time. But I just thought it was cool that he was kind of sort of going to be in my neck of the woods. Although again, you know, Fort Fort Lauderdale's, you know, it's a serious hike from here and. Um, I couldn't find anybody to go with me. I really wanted the good doctor to go with me, but he's uh, he's hung up and couldn't go. So I probably wouldn't have ended up going anyway, even if uh, even if DeFalco had showed for the you know for the convention. So I'm kind of glad that he canceled because now I don't now I don't have to feel it. Now I don't have to have guilt. You know, so. <laughs> there is something to be said for that when you <laughs> when when you start losing the urge to go, but you feel guilty and. You know, it gets canceled, so it eliminates any need for it. Right. I mean, I don't know how how old or young a guy he is. I would imagine he's getting up there, you know, and it's one of those things where hopefully I'll get an opportunity again some other time because that, that'd be – that's what I was – I feared the most is that, you know, I wouldn't make the time. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't spend the time and the money and gas and all that. And then, you know, down the line, something would happen to him and then I'd never have the opportunity and then I'd feel like crap, you know. So at least this way, it's, the, you know, the all of that's been removed, you know, so now I don't have the opportunity anyway. So it's all, it's all good now. For what it's worth, Tom DeFalco is 71 years old and uh, I don't know, he looks like he's in okay shape from the pictures on uh, <laughs> on Google. Yeah. So hopefully he'll be around for a good number of years yet. I hope so. I, I really would like the the opportunity to, you know, if nothing else, you know, just just meet him and you know thank him for, you know, all the wonderful memories. Because I, I really do think the world of him as a writer. I think he's a damn good comics writer that just never really got enough praise for uh, for the stuff that he did, or at least, you know, in my world, you know, from from what I've seen, I, I don't seem I, it doesn't seem like he's one of those ones I hear mentioned an awful lot as wow this guy is really good and did some really good stuff. But I always thought he did. I thought he was a, a really solid comics writer. Sounds so. to me like a good topic for a uh, for for a, a creator spotlight episode. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, I agree. So, but today well. our focus is on the <laughs> thing and the Hulk. Yes. And we're up to our next one. And you know what? I was mistaken about this one. When we talked about it before, uh, I was thinking of a different story along the lines. I, I totally forgot this one. I had read it uh, quite a while ago in, in an effort to, you know, when, when we were planning on uh, on on doing this, whatever, ten years ago. Uh, and, and I hadn't read it since then and I totally forgot about it. Uh, but I, I gotta say, I did get a kick out of reading it again. Uh, so it's, it's not that I was disappointed. I did do some, uh, a little, little bit of, you know, looking on the internet. First of all, of course, I was looking for a, uh, synopsis so that I didn't have to write one or do one off the top of my head. And of course I couldn't find one. This, there is no synopsis on the uh, Marvel wiki page, sadly. Uh Oh, so I'm going to do one off the top of my head. In fact, I'm going to do that before I go further on what my research yielded. So this is... Uh, so, so real quick, though, before you start, what what was the story that you were thinking of? Uh, it was it was one of the... I'm not even sure which one. It was one of the later ones when, when they fought, and it was an intelligent Hulk in the, uh, in, in the story. Okay. Uh, so, you know, this, this is before that. <laughs> 
But we're, we're going to get to the other one, so I don't even want to talk too much about my thoughts about that one just okay. yet. But this was, this was a graphic novel from 1987, and it's called uh, The Incredible Hulk and the Thing in The Big Change. And it's written by Jim Starlin, and the art is pretty much done by Bernie Wrightson, uh, inking and coloring. Um, it's lettered by Jim Novak, and the cover is... It's kind of it's kind of a little bit of a deceptive cover. It basically has the thing and the Hulk coming, I guess, coming towards the read, reader, both of them in a threatening way. Uh, pretty cool. The thing is a little more up front, and the Hulk is a little bit more in the back. The Hulk's hand is reaching further. It, it almost looks like it would be cool if you had a, had 3D glasses on looking at this one. Yeah. So the, the story opens up with the thing uh, getting into a uh, tussle with somebody on Yancey Street who threw a tomato at him. Uh, and we have a recap of the, the Fantastic Four's origin story. And the thing chases down the guy and comes upon three more uh, or two more Yancey Streeters. And they all have tomatoes in their hands ready to pelt away. And then he fades away. And one of the guys uh, says, well, you can hardly blame him. There are three of us. Uh then we cut to the desert where there's an old gentleman who's putting the finishing touches on a uh, thing statue uh, that he apparently spent a third of his life completing, uh, which is quickly demolished by the Hulk who sees it and doesn't like the thing. So he starts crushing it. Uh, he says he's going to smash Rockman and uh, was it, if he's, he's going to smash the artist because he... Uh, because he made it, but then he's like, heavens no, in fact, I was just going to smash it myself when you showed up, and then the Hulk <laughs> calls him a lawyer and is ready to just pound him, but then he fades away, so we, we see the thing and the Hulk floating through space, uh, the Watcher does a kind of a disclaimer on the story, basically saying that no one's perfect, but that he follows trivial stories as well, uh, they end up with some dude named... Uh, the hell is his name? Stam Stambin Malelit, uh, who wants to send them on a mission uh, to the uh, Bangor McCrusher mob and food outlet. Uh, he offers them in exchange that he could grant two wishes, which includes changing them back to their alter egos. Uh, the thing is totally on board for this, but the Hulk doesn't really care. Hulk says he doesn't have any wishes, uh, but then the, the thing offers him... Uh, if you come along and you do this, I'll, I'll promise you a good time. And the Hulk accepts that as an offer. So they're, they're walking along, uh, or they get transported to a place where they're going to do what they need to do. They're walking along, and even though it's a whole alien group, they're easily noticeable. So the thing grabs a uh, kind of a, a hooded scarf thing to cover himself up. The Hulk decides he needs something too, so he pounds this octopus guy on the head. Uh, and use it, wears him as a hat, uh, which, which, which he's walking along for quite a bit with with this thing on his head. And, you know, I guess it's it's either going to hit or miss as humor goes. But I just found it very funny as I was reading this. Uh, so then they. Uh, was it they, they come along uh, another guy who realizes who they are and ejects them. Uh, they find themselves down in a sewer. Uh, the Hulk is upset at one point because he loses his hat. His hat wakes up. He punches it again. <laughs> the poor, poor octopus thing. Uh, then they end up in a battle with some type of, 
I guess it's a tripod, but it's really kind of strange looking. Uh, it reminded me of uh, of the tripods from uh, War like Worlds. War of the Worlds, yeah. or, or what? What was the guy with the with the hip boots? Um, not Star Killer. What was his name? Kill Raven. Um, Kill Raven. Yes. Well, that is War yes. of the Worlds. That's what that was taken from. Yeah. Yeah. So that they uh, they battle this thing and then they decide they're gonna they're gonna just leave. Uh, the Hulk jumps over this swamp thing, but the thing has to. Uh, he he's not able to. Uh, but then the thing trips over him and falls into the water. So the thing starts to uh, make his way across, and he meets up with the Hulk where they end up in a battle with all of these other guys. And it, it's an interesting sequence because the Hulk decides he's going to uh, reason with them. And then they, they don't show you, but then they're all laying unconscious on the ground. Uh, but <laughs> so, so you think his reasoning was that he just beat the crap out of them. But then the thing is talking. He says, you really talked us out of that fight. I wish I had stayed awake long enough to see how you did it. But I dozed <laughs> off about the time you were explaining how mutton stew is the closest thing you can get to being in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then uh they finally make their way into uh the the area where the boss is that they're gonna deal with and he's apparently uh followed their exploits through some sort of interdimensional television and had himself uh surgically altered to be a giant combination of the thing and the hulk uh and he he starts fighting the two of them and you know they they really can't uh, they can't really beat him uh, because and I forgot to mention this earlier the Hulk was kind of drugged to keep himself from getting too out of control through this whole thing so he's not getting angrier so he's not getting stronger uh, but then uh, the thing tells him that Banger McCrusher the giant thing uh, said something about Hulk's mother so the Hulk, Hulk starts getting angry and attacks and eventually they take him out. Uh, at that point, they serve whatever it is they're supposed to serve, and they appear back where uh, the, the dude who sent them is. And it turns out this whole thing was for uh, what the uh, thing calls cosmic A1 source, that that was the whole purpose of this meeting. <laughs> so then, he, you know, having completed their mission, they're uh, ready to be granted their two wishes. The thing is contemplating very hard to make sure that he says it all exactly right and while he's doing that the thing the hulk says we want food and want to go home <laughs> so those are their two <laughs> wishes so the, they appear in the desert with, end up with a pile of hamburgers uh and as the the hulk is sitting there uh eating the hamburgers uh, we we got a final shot of the thing standing behind him lifting a, a giant boulder that he's going to drop on his head and that's the end of the story <laughs> so now i got a big kick out of reading this it's it's the only reason it took longer to read this is because it's uh, it's lo it's a longer story. It's about 70 pages right. or so. So it took me, I don't know, half an hour or so to sit and read it. Uh, but otherwise, this was a quick read. I mean, the pages fly by quickly. Uh, but, yeah. I, but I got a big kick out of it. I really enjoyed reading this. Uh, and, I, I, you know, like I said, when I was looking for the synopsis on it, I saw different reviews on it. And they were very mixed. There was one which said, you know, that uh, Jim Stalin, who wrote this, was way ahead of his time because uh, they really didn't put humor like this into comics 
before uh you know before this and you know they they did a lot more with that later on so that he was you know a pioneer in that regard so they gave him a lot of credit for it and then i saw another one where they said uh you know they showed the pic the the page where the hulk punches the uh squid thing and uses it as a hat and said if you find this funny you'll probably enjoy the book if not avoid it uh and then the last was the most extreme where they just said it, it, that it was a one joke story and not funny at all. Uh, I, I line up more with the first one. I, I really got a kick out of reading this. <laughs> what did you, what did you think of it? I hadn't read this in a long, long time. I, I think when I did my read through of thing Hulk stories for this idea way back when, before we actually did decide to do it, I think I skipped this, and I don't remember why I skipped it then, but I, I to my memory, I, I haven't read this since I bought it new, like, when it came out. I, I bought it right off the stands, and I remember really enjoying it, but just kind of in a vague sense, I couldn't really remember what it was about, um, and I think that really served me well because going into it more or less fresh, really not remembering the story very well, a lot of it came back to me as I was reading. And the humor, to me, the humor really works. I'm not the biggest fan of of humor books or sitcoms or anything. I mean, I like a good comedy, but it's got to be smart and it's. You know, it can't be just goofy, dumb humor or, you know, fart joke humor, whatever. It has to have some brains to it. And this does. This has a lot of good, you know, comedy situation beats that really work. And it strikes me as as this may seem like a bit of a cheat because there's not really a fight between the thing and the Hulk, which is primarily what we're looking at with you know, these stories that we've been examining, mm -hmm. but they are still somewhat um, adversarial in the sense of instead of fighting, you know, physically fighting each other now, you know, even though on the surface of it, it looks like a, like kind of like a buddy team up row, you know, on the road type of story they're still somewhat adversarial because now you've kind of got like a, like an Abbott and Costello thing going because you've got the thing playing the reluctant straight man. And then you've got the Hulk as kind of the big dumb lumbering guy. And the Hulk gets some of the best moments in it because he's just so stupid and he says really stupid things that are funny. And then it just frustrates the hell out of the thing and the things constantly, you know, he's the one that's constantly angry through the whole story because he's just getting frustrated and, and stymied at, at each turn. And then he's saddled with this idiot and it's just, it works on that comedic level. It just works for me. It's so much fun because I really like seeing the thing just get, you know, more and more pissed off as the story goes because things don't go right and and he's saddled with you know dumb Hulk. Um, but I you know, I love some of the the Hulk. I mean the Hulk has some really good um, dumb moments in here. You know I'm not at all a fan of this iteration of the Hulk. You know dumb Hulk. Um, never really did it for me, but but he works in this story. I, I wouldn't want to see this all the time. I wouldn't want to see 
you know, dumb Hulk used for comedy. But if you're going to do it once, this this is the way to do it because it really it works really well. There's some really good zingers in here and and just some fun, um, you know, some fun little beats, you know, just some different observations that, uh, you know, that the Hulk makes and stuff. I love the one where, where the, the Hulk, you know, wears the squid guy or octopus guy, whatever, as a hat, and they're they're walking in. The thing's like, there's no way this is gonna fool anybody, and they're walking down the hall, and nobody's paying any attention to them at all. And the thing grudgingly admits, he says, "Well, turn me upside down and paint me green." He says, "It worked. No one's paying us no mind." Hulk, you're a genius, and Hulk just Hulk knows. <laughs> <laughs> I love him wearing that squid hat, hat through yes. the whole thing. But but I did feel bad for the squid thing. <laughs> yeah, he wakes up at one point and and just gets, you know, pounded back to sleep again. I couldn't remember what happened to the squid thing and he does get away at the end, which was you know, he doesn't die or anything cuz I I kept thinking that he got like disintegrated or something. I couldn't remember what happened to him, but no, he does get away, so he did not meet some horrible fate or something. So there's at least that. The other one that that really cracked me up was when they finally they make their way through this cave, and they finally get to the the bad guy's place, and they 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 walk up to this essentially door, and it's got a, a like a banner on it that says "Banger's Place, Stay Out or Die." And the thing says, "Yep, there it is." And the Hulk says, there, what is? And the thing says, don't you see the sign? And the Hulk says, yeah. So, Hulk not smoking. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It just cracks me up. See, I I, so, yeah. I don't have a problem with, I'll call him Simple Hulk, not Dumb Hulk. Uh, I really don't have a problem with Simple Hulk. But I, I like Simple and Smug Hulk, which is what we have in this issue. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So it's very smug. Yes, I, I just get I just got a huge kick out of it. And and I got to say, you know, taking it to the other step, I, I for the most part, uh, I really like the Bernie Wrights and take on these two characters. I don't think I would like it if he was doing a monthly series of them. But to have one issue like this, I really dug it. Yeah, I, I really uh, enjoy Bernie Wrightson to begin with. I, I, I've always thought he's just, you know, he's an incredible artist. Um, I'm trying to remember if he really did much, you know, mainstream superhero stuff because Not of course lot. he has that reputation as the master of the macabre, you know, and he did all the, the really creepy horror stuff. But, you know, although this is not a horror book or a horror story, his style lends itself well here because essentially at the end of the day, the thing in the Hulk are monsters. And in this story, granted it's more of a science fiction story or at least a sci-fi setting as opposed to a horror setting. The aliens that he comes up with have more of a horror bent. So they, they just look cooler. I really like his aliens because you know, you're getting, you know, space aliens through a a horror filter, if that makes sense. So they're much more non-human. They're much more alien and creepy, you know, bug-like, um, slimy. 
they're just they're very interesting because they're not just you know like humanoids with a different head or pointed ears or something like that i mean they're they're truly inhuman and it works on that level i really like that he's got some really cool designs for uh for the different creatures and aliens that we see some of them are some of them are downright disturbing you know the taxi driver or, or airbus or whatever this thing is the guy that that starts to give them a ride before he you know he hits the ejector seat and, and sends them out that guy's disturbing um partially because of his i guess it's a mouth or mm-hmm. part of one of that i i don't know if it's intentional or not but it, it looks um, I'm just going to say it looks really rude. I'll leave it to your own imagination. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just disturbing in all kinds of different ways. But, uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I consider myself quite the fan of Bernie Wrightson, but I'm more used to Bernie Wrightson on true horror material like Swamp Thing and, uh, you know, just the different horror stories that he did over the years. Yeah, and that's where I would be looking for him as well. So that's that's probably probably why I go to the I wouldn't want him doing this on a monthly basis because I feel like you'd be wasting his uh you know the the, the matchup that you really want because if if this, if this was a regular monthly book this wouldn't be the I mean you might have the comedy tone uh but I don't think you'd have the alien tone I think eventually you'd have them fighting you know regular villains and such and I don't know I think I feel like you'd be wasting Bernie Wrightson on that uh Right. But but you know, in this particular book I really enjoyed it. The only thing I didn't really go for was his take on the Watcher, which is very limited anyway. Yeah. Yeah, the Watchers um yeah, he, he needs to go on a diet. <laughs> He's got a very, very yeah. wide head. Uh yeah. Yeah, I I just didn't like the look that he gave the watcher. But other than that, I, I think all the artwork is this is good. I think both you know, both our, our heroes look good. Uh I even got a kick out of the uh Bangor McCrusher's, you know, thing uh thing Hulk mashup. Yeah. I noticed something as I was flipping through this while you were doing your synopsis, I noticed something that I didn't notice reading the story. The first page, the the full page splash uh, splash where we see banger mccrusher full body for the first time mm-hmm. his hulk foot is three-toed mm-hmm. and i really thought that was cool I, I wonder if that's an intentional nod to um kirby's hulk in the beginning because kirby's hulk was three-toed as well right but what but he, he doesn't really cool. do the hulk three-toed in this he does the thing three-toed right right yeah, I don't know if that's just, you know, if it's just an artistic choice or if it's a nod, Easter egg type of thing or what, but it's 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 cool. And just this idea of a composite, you know, bad guy that's a composite of the thing and the Hulk. That's a pretty freaky, scary, bizarre mashup type of thing, but it, it works really well. I mean, he's just a really messed up looking dude. Yeah, I I, I... I just like I said, I just had fun reading this whole story. Uh, you know, and some he, his aliens are varied enough that it, it you know, they, they I had interest in, in kind of following them as it went along. 
uh, and seeing, you know, what, what right. he was going to come up with, even even ones that don't have any dialogue or have minimal dialogue. Uh, I, I, you know, it looks like he spent, you know, a good amount of time trying to really give them a distinct personality in their look. One thing I noticed was, OK, so we have several different aliens through this whole thing. And in the beginning of the story, when, when it starts out, we're really just dealing with, with essentially two. We're dealing with um, the guy that that's dispatching them on this mission. And then there's the guy that they're actually trying to find. And the guy they're trying to find, when it says his name... It's it's Mal or Mal M A L L so I'm thinking Mal and then his last name is Addy A D D Y so I thought okay is this one of those punny comics things is his name actually supposed to be Malady you know like like sickness or something like that yeah that... and I just kind of filed it in the back of my brain but then you get to the end of the story where the guy that sent them on the mission is back again and he's talking to them. And he introduces a couple of his associates. And if you read it phonetically, the associates are file it and lose it and make a copy. So that got me to thinking, okay, that's three out of four names that are some sort of pun or, or whatever you call that, you know, using you know different spelling, but to make you know a, a joke like that. So you've got, File it and lose it, make a copy and malady. So I got to thinking, okay, it was the very first guy. Is there something to that name as well? And I just wasn't reading it right or whatever. So hang on, I'm flipping back to this again to see what was the guy's name? It was Stambin Melolite. That's how I was reading it. But I think it might possibly be stamp and mail it oh yeah that makes sense. like like stamp but it's it's s-t-a-m-b not p but i'm still thinking that if yeah. you pronounce it stamp and mail it it'd be like you know you're putting a stamp on something and mailing it and I, that's a guess but i think that's what it's going for that's a little silly i don't really care for that then we have nasty but... mcburn and banger mccrusher Right, yeah. See, those two were fairly straight up, you know, obvious that they were just being silly. The other ones, you kind of had to work at it a little bit, I felt like. <laughs> mm. but those, those were the ones I caught anyway. I don't know if there were really any... I don't think the taxi driver had a name, did he? I don't remember him. Did he give a name? I'm looking right no, I'm not no. seeing it here. No. He was disgusting, that guy. <laughs> Yeah, but in a funny way, as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, it is funny, but it's gross. Yeah, but so there's a lot of the the stuff that happens to them is based on kind of gross humor or you know gross situations like you know just slimy aliens and you know winding up in the alien sewer and there's a lot of like just grossness. I was going I was on. going back and forth on this as to whether it was. Uh... You know, is is it is it a buddy movie like you know, like you said, Abbott and Costello or Hope and Crosby or that kind of thing, or is it a uh, you know more more like a uh, buddy cop thing? You know, like Riggs and Murtaugh, 
because that would be more along the lines of that era. I, I think it's a, I think it's got elements of of all of that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I you know it's I, I don't know about buddy cop type of thing because they don't really have like any authority or I guess maybe a little bit because they, they are on official like government business. I think the thing says that at one point, like, yeah, we, we represent the government or something to that effect. But I mean, you know, they're, they're not space cops or anything like that. I, I think it's more, it's a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a road movie, you know, type of thing. It's a, it's a buddy road movie type of thing. Um, but reluctant you know at least on the things part you know he's he's thrown into this thing with the hulk whether he wants to be or not and when the when the hulk first shows up or you know when both of them first materialize on this alien where the first thing the thing does is just try to get rid of the hulk he tells the guy hey you, you don't want this hulk guy around he's nothing but trouble and that's when the alien says well you know i've given him some magic whammy to where he's going to stay you know chilled out the whole time and you know so he'll he'll be you know, more manageable type of thing. But, the you know, but the the thing still doesn't really want to be saddled with him. You know, if he had his choice, he'd be doing this by himself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like you, you mentioned earlier, though, that the Hulk had so many of the good comic beats in this. Uh, but, but, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I hadn't really looked at it from the perspective of, of how funny it is to see the, the thing just getting more and more and more frustrated by by the Hulk's combination of, of <laughs> dopiness and smugness. There's just, <laughs> yes. there's just a lot there that, that I got a big kick out of. Uh, it's, it, it's, you know, I would definitely, you know, you're not going to find this in a dollar bin anywhere, but I would say if, if you're lucky enough, you might find this you know, somewhere for like five, maybe even 10 bucks. And it's probably worth it. I think it's, you know, I should have looked this up ahead of time, but I, I think this has been reprinted, though, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, if I can get my stupid browser to open, it's being really, oh, here we go. Let me see. I'm just, I'm curious what this, now, if you are going to seek this out, especially if you're going to seek out the original version of this, because again, like I said, I think it's been reprinted. I'm not positive on that, but Technically speaking, this is Marvel Graphic Novel number 29. This is when they were still numbering the graphic novels. Not long after this, I think, is when they kind of abandoned the numbers, or at least the, the numbers get kind of nebulous. But when they first started, you know, each one had a specific number. Um, it was only over time that I, I think they kind of dropped the numbers, and then each one was just individually um, titled, essentially. But I'm curious, you know, on uh, on eBay, for example, you know, what's this go for? Well, the other thing it's... I saw about this while you're looking on eBay was that, uh, you know, when I was looking at the different reviews of it, was they said, you know, up until this book, you know, Marvel had kind of looked at their graphic novel line as being, you know, for books with more gravitas, you know, significant events, significant, right. you know, things that are going on and, and for it to be just a silly buddy, you know, buddy story uh, kind of went against the way they were presenting these books. But to me, that's just being closed minded. I, I just think this is great. Well, now you've got me curious because I, you know, by no means at all do I have, um, you know, every one of their graphic novels or I've even read, you know, every I you know, It was one of those things where. I picked up what appealed to me and skipped what didn't, you know, 
Um, so I'm curious, you know, if they're, I'm looking here real quick and yeah, by the time this one came out, I was, it was in the stretch when I was not buying comics. So I didn't read this till I, I read this one, you know, 10 years ago when we talked about doing our read through. So, you know, with, with the exception of the ones that I, you know, I have absolutely no concept of or whatever, it does, yeah, it looks like this is probably the first one or maybe even the only one that would have like a comedic bent to it, you know? Um, cause the other ones look, <laughs> they look pretty serious. You know, the very first one, of course, was the death of Captain Marvel. You know, you don't get much more serious than that, but, you know, you have the New Mutants, you have the famous God Loves Man Kills X Men one, Star Slammers, Maturity, um, you know, all these. Yeah. Um, and then you get to here. Now, I don't remember what the tone of Wolf Pack was. I don't no, I know don't. that I have read that one, but yeah, they're all, you know, pretty straight up, you know, hero adventure type of things. And then you get to this one and it's, it's pretty lighthearted, but I, I think it works for, you know, for what it is. I mean, you know, kudos to them for, for taking a chance on something, you know, really kind of different. Yeah. You know, that, that has horror roots as far, you know, at least as far as the artwork goes, but, and, you know, horror roots as far as the art and then cosmic roots as far as the writer but then essentially it's it's kind of a screwball comedy that's that's really very different it definitely is but you know i'm gonna tell you i'm gonna i'm gonna make this really ultra simplified i'm giving it straight a's across the board i just love this book i really did i'm not giving it a pluses but i'm giving it a's including the cover which has a little more white space than i would normally like but that whole 3d aspect of it and everything you know with it and for the graphic novel you know you want a little bit more sophisticated look so the white space doesn't bother me as much so i'm just going a's across the board on this i think i would definitely go a's um on the story and the interior art the cover has never really worked for me on this um for for a number of reasons it's just kind of odd i really don't like how the hulk looks and the thing looks very strange, only in the sense of the, let me see, what is that? That's his left arm. It looks like it's jointed like an action figure. You know what I mean? Like mm. one of the old Migos, or like it has like a ball socket or whatever. You, you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm thinking, really I'm thinking that's what right Wrightson, I'm thinking Wrightson was thinking about it as he drew it and said, well, how, how would you move this arm? So he had to do something to do it. Uh, yeah. Uh, which yeah. he didn't really have to do because most artists just, ignore that point uh but just the same that, that it almost looks like he was thinking about it as he wrote it yeah the, th the thing looks a little you know what you're, you're right I, I have to pull back a little on this i'm gonna say a b on the cover everything else is an a and i'm giving the book an a just the same yeah but yeah over overall grade for the entire book would definitely be an a i i, I get the biggest kick out of this i i think it's genuinely funny um and and it's just you know it's just a fun adventure you know we often complain that you know comics just aren't really any fun anymore well this this is clearly you know this is when they still could just have fun and just do something kind of screwy and it's screwy it's not made to be taken real seriously but it genuinely makes me chuckle and you know it, it it's just fun um i can't help but wonder there at the very end of the story where the Hulk, it's the third panel on the next to last page where the Hulk is just sitting in a pile of hamburgers. 
that is so reminiscent to me of that famous action comics cover of Superman just pounding down cheeseburgers on that one cover mm-hmm. by Bob Ostner. I can't help but wonder if, if that, you know, it was on Starlin's mind as he as he drew this. Well, no, it's you know, Wrightson drew it, but, uh, or Wrightson would not surprise Wrightson. me in the slightest if that was yeah. a, a, a little bit of an homage there. I love so it. the only disappointment just, is that they didn't crack. they didn't face off. But you know what? I'm going to give the Hulk the bit, the win on the battle because he totally screwed the thing's plans over. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's no, there's no punches exchanged between these two. But uh, yeah, I think just purely for stymieing and frustrating the thing through the entire story, I think it, it really does go to the Hulk. Um. And it's funny because it, it ends to where that's where the fight probably started because the, the thing's about to smash him with a rock, you know? <laughs> it's, to, to me, yeah, that, that, that felt like, uh, you know, of mice and men. Uh, right. With, with Lenny and, and George. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that vibe through the whole, yeah, through the whole story. There's a lot of that vibe, <laughs> which I get a kick out of. Oh, me too. Absolutely. So I guess... That'll do it for our discussion of this one. I hope you get you people enjoyed it. The next time out for the Thing Hulk, it's a two-part story uh, from November and December of 1988, uh, which crosses over from Fantastic Four number 320 into The Incredible Hulk number 350. So if you want to get a jump on that, I'm not sure exactly when we'll record that episode, but you know now we're back on on the train with. Uh, with these books so hopefully we'll get to it sometime soon i am really really looking forward to those so yeah whenever you're ready to to tackle those we can dive right into it because that's now you're right in my wheelhouse with that stuff so yeah that one's exciting to me all right cool (laughs) look forward to it (laughs) Uh, thanks again everybody for listening and we'll catch you next week bye-bye Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>